Hi, I'm Alice Lee. And I'm Michelle Yim. We made it our mission to help you to get the tools you need to take your creative endeavor to the next level. Each week on our podcast, we'll be interviewing guests from different creative industries to share their insights on their chosen path. So you can be empowered to be who you truly are. Creation Collective. Free to be. Hi, it's Michelle here at Creation Collective Podcast. This week, I'm sitting in for Alice, and I'm very honoured to be joined by Kumiko Mendel, the Artistic Director of New Earth Theatre, previously Yellow Earth Theatre. It is to date the longest-running and leading British East and Southeast Asian theatre company in the UK. And this is very exciting for me because I still remember going to see The Nightingale at the Lawrence Batley Theatre in Huddersfield. And that was when I realised, yes, it is possible to make a career in theatre. I think Yellow Earth, New Earth has been an inspiration, not only for me, but for many BC creatives in the UK. So thank you very much, Kumiko, for coming on to the show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, that's wonderful to hear. I hadn't realised about The Nightingale. You don't see a lot of British East Asian theatre, especially in the regions. That was the first experience of British East Asian theatre that I have seen. Now, I'm going to jump straight into this. When you and the other four founding members formed Yellow Earth Theatre in 1995, did you ever see or thought that the company would become such a pioneering force? I suppose at the time, you know, you don't look forward necessarily. You just, you're in the moment. And we came together because we were in a production of Magic Paintbrush at Polk Theatre that David Say had written and adapted. We were four actors alongside David who ended up being in the production. And he had been thinking about setting up a company. So he asked if we would join him. And we'd had such a good time on the show together. We had quite a lot of physical theatre background. So we were all quite interested and drawn to that and exploring the East Asian art forms, as well as being fed up with sort of work we'd been offered as British East and Southeast Asian performers. So we wanted to make work for ourselves and others like ourselves. It was exciting. I never planned or thought I'd be here this long. (laughs) I'd be leading the company after all these years. But I would say it was very much David who led and spearheaded the company in the early days. And it probably wouldn't be where it is today if he hadn't had that energy and focus and the work he did. But we were there supporting him. That's brilliant. For the listeners who don't know what an artistic director is, could you give us an idea of what you do within the company? The artistic director sets the artistic vision for the company. Together with my executive producer, uh, Leanne Wilkinson, we look at the strategy to how that could happen. We do the forward planning. I'm the one who engages and reaches out to the different artists, deciding who we're going to work with. And I develop the relationships with the different venues and different producers that we work with. And there's a lot of organising, there's lots of meetings, but there's also lots of admin to do. I mean, we're a very small company, so you end up doing an awful lot. I'd love to have a PA, someone to do my diary, something like that. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't. I have to do all that myself. And then leading on some of the projects, we also end up producing quite a lot. We're not just doing our own shows, we're also supporting and producing other pieces of work too. There's a lot, it's quite broad. In a way, you can shape it as you see fit, but it's really about, you know, the artistic vision, kind of work you want to be doing, how that develops over time. And also, I think it's important to be responsive as well. It's not set in stone. This year has proved it more than any that nothing's guaranteed. So you need to be versatile in your thinking and flexible and innovative. And there's, you know, many different sort of qualities you need. You need to be able to communicate well. You need to be able to strategize and also collaborate and have integrity. But it's really exciting because you're in control. It's also equally as terrifying as well. 
that's a lot to do as an artistic director. What do you most enjoy doing and what are some of the challenges that you come across? I really love coming up with the ideas and probably far too many of them because the rest of the team have to make it happen. But that's a really exciting moment. I really enjoy collaborating and working with other people as well, sparking ideas and the teamwork that we do is great. In a way, my role has become like an enabler, enabling others, or empowering is probably a better word, but it's opening up doors for other people as well, I hope. The things I find challenging as someone who's having to lead the company, it it is exhausting. It can be really tiring and you might wake up one day and just think, oh, I'm feeling really tired today. You know, you have to keep that energy and purpose going. And as a small organisation, it is tricky because we're all human and we all have to look after ourselves as well. And there's a big responsibility, which is it's hard. So it's not all fun and games by any means, but I think it's really important. And I feel quite privileged to be in this position and I want to do the best I can. Kumiko, you have directed and co-directed a number of productions for the company, including The Last Day of Limehouse, Rashomon and Flight Paths, as well as for other companies such as The Unicorn and The Arts Depot. I realise I don't know much about your performing history as an actor, and and you, you said you were more physical. As a kid, I had a really loud voice, so my parents thought I should channel it. Teachers used to tell me to stop shouting all the time. So they told me to channel it. So they sent me to this woman up the road who had these drama classes. And she ended up putting us into these sort of competitions, drama and music festivals, they were called. So we used to do these duologues. And also I ended up doing these mime competitions where I didn't speak at all. But actually I used to win all those. There was a sense of expression through the corporal, through the body, which was really interesting to me because I enjoyed using my voice, but also really enjoyed doing that. Anyway, then I decided I didn't want to go to drama school because I just looked at the people at drama school. And I just thought, oh, God, I've got nothing to do with, with them. They're all rich. They're all white. I didn't actually know anyone who'd gone to drama school. It was just this impression I got. So I wasn't keen and I was quite keen on going to university because my brother had gone. I thought, yeah, I should go to university. It gives me more options. So I ended up going to university and I didn't do a drama degree, but I ended up getting involved in a play in my final year, which went so well. We thought we'd tour it. And then we we looked for actors to audition. And that's when I met my first professional actor. And I just thought, oh, I can do this. If she can do it, I can do it. That's when I started thinking, oh, yeah, I could actually do this as a career or as a living. That's what I want to do. So we toured the play for two years, in fact. Anyway, actually, the woman who was the first professional actress I met, her husband had been to Lecoq in Paris. And he saw me on stage and said, oh, you should look at Jack Lecoq. You might be interested. And I thought, what's Jack Lecoq? I'd never heard of it. And there was this theatre school in Paris. And in fact, it turned out I was also doing some classes at City Lit. There were some brilliant tutors that time in the 80s. And you could do a whole course for a pound if you were unemployed. So unfair now when you think about it. And you could do up to seven. So I could, you could spend up to seven pounds and do seven full courses. So I did this course with this woman called Lorna Marshall, who had worked with Yoshio Ida as well, Peter Brooks' company. So she knew him well. I was really fascinated with Peter Brooks' work. And then she'd also been to Lecoq. So I thought, right, Lecoq is calling me. So that's what I applied and went to, yeah, went to Lecoq, which was amazing. Oh, wow. I just realized that, like me, it was like, oh, that eureka moment when you met someone or you saw something and you thought, hey, we can do this. What was the industry like back then? There were definitely far fewer of us working in the industry that I was aware of. You know, in those days, there was no social media. We weren't as connected as we are now. What I found, because I came from a theatre background, so theatre was more open, but I was called up for auditions for film or TV. You know, they just didn't know what to do with me. They thought I was going to be Japanese. I wasn't Japanese enough for them. Uh, They didn't know where to put me. 
So I never made any inroads there. But I would say because of my background in theatre and my devising background, I was able to create work. And that's what we did initially with Yellow Earth, was create our own work. I read one of your online interviews and you mentioned that your father was actually Jewish-German and your mother was Japanese. Now, this is a very interesting mixed heritage that you have. Has that contributed to your performing life uh, on stage or, or has that been a burden in, in a sense? Like you said, you know, it was hard for you to find casting. I've always been very proud of my heritage. I think it has contributed to my sense of feeling an outsider all through my life never quite belonging anywhere. I was felt as a child growing up, definitely our family were very strange and unusual for a variety of reasons, not just heritage, but that was partly it. And I think, you know, both my parents coming here, my father came as a refugee from Nazi Germany and my mother came in the 50s, which was a very unusual time. I think for me, it was something to draw on their strength and their ability to bring us you know into the world and to try and find a space for us as a family and that's really been inspiring I suppose the Japanese side has been something that I've very much been drawn to because it was so far away my father came from Germany and I had quite a number of connections at school I did German went to Germany but at the time I was being brought up Japan was seen as somewhere of interest to people in the west it felt far too far away post-Second World War, it was all embarrassed. They were the enemy, basically. So it was a difficult time. I felt more estranged. That also impelled me to know more about that aspect of my heritage and family and understanding. So, yeah, it's been, it has been quite fundamental, I suppose. And, you know, it wasn't that I thought I'd be working in the British East and Southeast Asian sector necessarily. I didn't set out to do that. But that's what happened. And it felt like a place I could belong. And I found a home, I suppose, with the company. Oh, that is wonderful. You're obviously now an artistic director, but you started off as an actor, performer. So how did that transition? I mean, was that something that you were always looking to do? I have to be very honest. It wasn't in my game plan at all. I mean, it is always hard to sort of plot a career in the arts, as it were, because it's such a strange beast. But no, it was sort of circumstance that I was actually at the company at a time when the board asked me to step up for a time to be an interim leader. And I suppose looking back at it, thinking, oh, I can't, I don't know, I don't think I can be a leader, I'm not sure. And I tried it for a while and I thought, actually, yes, I should do this. So when the role came up, I applied. You had to apply. You were one of the five founding members. Well, you know, by then we're a limited company, charity. We have a board of trustees who select the next artistic director. So it was their decision. So, of course, we had to do due process. They invited me to apply. But I suppose I had been running the company at that point and I knew the company inside out. And I had ideas that I, where I wanted to take the company and make a change. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. But when you became artistic director, the company had just lost its core funding. Yeah, actually, I became artistic director and then it lost all its funding. I mean, it wasn't a good time for the company anyway. It's gone through changes of leadership. And, you know, that's always difficult, I think, when someone who's been leading a company moves on. And that whole succession is a really delicate and not a straightforward process necessarily. So, yes, at that time, the Arts Council were coming up with a new national portfolio organisation set up. But in the end, what happened was we were totally cut, which was a big shock. There were definite positives that came out of it. And it made me very determined and in some ways took the pressure off me. I thought, well, I'll just do what I can with the time I have and the resources I have. And what we did was actually apply for each project that I said I would do in the NPO. We pretty much, bar one, you know, we were successful with funding. So I managed to complete that programme. And 
it was good in some ways. We had been dominant as the one British East and Southeast Asian theatre company that had been revenue funded for the previous 10 years or so. That's not something we wanted. We really wanted to have more companies like ourselves because the pressure is absolutely enormous. They want you to represent every, you know, you can't represent everyone. It's impossible. It's a good point. But there has been quite a few British East Asian and Southeast Asian theatre companies now. Yes, British East and Southeast Asian led companies. Yes, definitely. There's a lot more people leading companies, which is brilliant. Not all doing just British East and Southeast Asian work, but there are some as well. And not all with national portfolio from the Arts Council. No, I mean, there's just us and Chinese arts now. But it's great that there's two of us. There definitely is room for more. You know, I can see lots of really strong and exciting companies. So I don't see why that can't be the case going forward in the future. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why Yellow Earth, New Earth, has gone on for so long is because you guys are continuously reacting and responding to the current landscape. So last year, 2020, you guys turned 25 and then you rebranded. You rebranded as New Earth Theatre. Yeah, so last year was our 25th anniversary and we had originally planned to do a celebration and rebrand and relaunch around a physical production of The Apology by Kyo Choi, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So in the end, we decided we'd go ahead and do it online. And it felt like a really important moment with the new name to bring some hope, I hope, and to mark a moment, I suppose. I think for a long time, the company had felt the old Yellow Earth logo felt very Sinocentric with the big yellow character of yellow. And for us and for me, it felt really important that we're a much broader company than just Chinese focus work. So they needed a whole new rethink and relook. And it just is about new possibilities, new beginnings. And for me, New Earth is like the topsoil. I think of it as the topsoil and underneath below us is... I like the bones of our ancestors. That's who make us who we are. And so, you know, rising up, we are the new earth, we are the new generation, and the new generations will continue beyond us. We plant new stories, we move, we plant, we grow, we support, we nurture and develop. So I felt that seemed to encapsulate what I wanted to see the company doing going forward and facing forward, but also not losing the legacy. Because obviously I'm a founder member. It's very different when someone comes into a company as new artistic director and says, right, I'm going to start from scratch you know this is my vision tear it all up this is a new name new start for me that was really important to retain the legacy of earth but still facing forwards to the future do you miss performing now that you're an artistic director I do I do miss it I tell you what though one thing that puts me off thinking about going back into it at any point is all the self-taping I can't bear that I mean I just feel there's more and more of that you're having to do as a way of auditioning and I just oh Oh, and with COVID as well, now everything has moved online. That, I can see, has impacted on New Earth. You've got quite a a digital program coming up with CAN, with Cans, like Duck Rabbit and Chang and Ung and Me and Me, which are two fantastic online installation exhibition theatre. What do you think the landscape is looking like with the industry? Well, you're right. I mean, you know, we've all had to keep engaged with audiences and with artists. Everything's moved online. A lot of people are really sick of looking at things online and um, it is very hard to create digital content. It's a very different medium from theatre. But what I'm seeing now is announcements of theatres, autumn seasons and things are beginning to open up again, which is really exciting. The thought of coming back to live theatre is really thrilling. I mean, we're about to go into rehearsals for Miss Julie, which is going to be live streamed to start with. And then we're hoping to take it on a tour in June, which will be quite early, actually. But that's the plan. 
That's brilliant. That's the one that was performed at the Story House at、uh, Chester. So, how are you preparing to go back into rehearsals at the moment? Yeah, so it's a co-production with Story House Chester, and it was their initial production, and Amy Ungs adapted it. And the rehearsals, everyone's really excited, but it's also a bit scary, isn't it? Suddenly coming out of your home and being back in a space. I mean, I did that a little bit last year. We did some research and development, and suddenly we were in a room with people. You know, even though we were socially distanced with masks, it was phenomenal. You don't realise how much you've missed it until you're there. That's what really struck me. I mean, everyone's really excited. They're really looking forward to it, and just can't wait to see how it goes. We're all very excited as well. You've also got some other shows that are still going on. What's happening with Sunagu Connect? Because that is quite personal to you as well. Yeah, this is very much a personal project. So we've been interviewing Japanese women who've settled in the UK since 1945. We've been doing over 30 interviews. Of course, we were planning to do these face to face. It took a while to convince people, or for people to feel comfortable to do it online. But this is what's happened, isn't it? During this pandemic, we're also used to now communicating over Zoom. So we've actually interviewed the women, and from those stories. That was the research and development. We were being inspired by the stories and by the stories of the performers we're working with, and we're creating a very exciting piece that we hope will be happening next spring. Wow! So, how hands-on is the role of an artistic director in a production? It depends in each production how it's been set up. So, for Miss Julie, it's slightly different because it was a Chester Storyhouse production originally. So they're leading on it. I'm there to support the artistic team to have conversations if necessary, alongside the artistic director of Chester Storyhouse. So my role is not so hands-on, but Leanne, who's producing it on our behalf, she's much more involved in the day-to-day -day programming and planning and liaising directly with Chester Storyhouse. But whereas with Tsunaga Connect, that's the project that I'm leading on, so I'm very much involved in all the artistic decisions in the development of it. So it does vary, but it's like an overseeing. I'll come in and see a run through, and I will feed back, and we'll have discussions and talk, and I'll look at scripts and feedback and so forth. So if I'm not directing it, it's slightly one removed, as it were. But it's just having an overall view and artistic input. Is that what layman would say? Quality control. Quality control. I hate that word. <laughs> I see it as supporting the artist, the writer, to make the piece as strong as is possible, and for it to work, and for me to contribute to that. We're gonna have our fingers crossed for you. Now, New Earth has been amazing with encouraging BC emerging artists as well, and you've got the Yellow Earth Academy, and they have given opportunities to to performers and directors, and also a developed、uh, emerging writers as well. Is that course gonna continue? Yes, very much so. That feels very core to what we're doing. It's very important for us that we're working with artists at all levels, so emerging and more established as well, and that we're providing some kind of pathway. We hope for British East and Southeast Asians, particularly those outside of London, to be finding pathways into theatre, into the arts, with other organisations. So we're running them again this year. We're doing it online, so it will be Northwest, Midlands, and South, and we're doing a new offstage academy, which is really exciting. It'll be an introduction, looking at different design elements, and it'll be run by British East and Southeast Asian artists working in those fields, like Nicola Chang and、um, now Nagai, Jill Tan. So it's really exciting. And then next year, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to run it as a physical piece. We'll be running the offstage alongside our performers academy, so that they'll have actual practical experience with the showcase. And we really want to see more British East and Southeast Asians coming in. 
to theatre and working in all sorts of roles in production, stage management, producing as well. That is truly amazing. Covid has not stopped you. New Earth Theatre has continued to be an inspiration and a driving force during the pandemic, continuing all this effort in promoting and championing British East and Southeast Asian creative work, live and digital. Kumiko, I don't know how many people out there are looking to become an artistic director, but if there are, what kind of advice would you give? It's interesting because nowadays people are becoming artistic directors through different pathways. Before it used to be you set up your own company and you'd run it. You became the artistic director of that company. Now, obviously, there are posts going up and people, writers can become artistic directors, not just directors, although still in this country, it's primarily directors who then become artistic directors. It's all about leadership. And I think it's around developing your leadership skills and ideas and thoughts. And there are some good courses out there, new initiatives, a lot of coaching that's beginning to happen. I know there's a British East and Southeast Asian women's coaching opportunity that Liz Chan is leading. So there are different ways of developing your experience as leaders become a trustee lots of boards are really needing to diversify and they're looking for people that are not represented on their board that's a brilliant way to begin to understand the inner workings of how a company operates now i really want to thank you kumiko for coming on to the show and sharing your experience with us just lastly amidst the challenges and frustrations how do you keep driving yourself forward and not give up your dreams I keep going because of everyone around me, because of the artists, because of the audiences. So in hearing your story, just the fact that you went to see something that Yellow Earth had done many, many years ago, and that really gave you that impetus to go, yes, this can be for me. That's what keeps me going. We had someone from the Academy last year in our Manchester Academy, same thing. She'd seen mountains and it was like, yes, I want to do this. And that's so important. And that really keeps me going. So when I hear from ex-alumni as well, you know, from the Academy saying, I'm doing this now. And thanks to you, I'm doing this and this and this. Thanks to the company. It's just Brilliant. Thank you very much again, Kumiko. So, New Earth and Storyhouse's collaboration, Miss Julie, a new adaptation of Strindberg's classic set in 1940s Hong Kong, adapted by Amy Ung and directed by Dariao Lin, produced for both a live and digital audience, is already in production. And it's coming live at the Suffolk Playhouse in London from 29th of June to the 3rd of July. But if you can't make that, it will be live streamed from Storyhouse Chester from the 9th to the 17th of April. Applications for the New Earth Academy mentioned is already opened and the deadline for submissions is Tuesday 27th of April 2021 at 5pm. You can find more details on New Earth Theatre's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And do check out New Earth's Bayani Han with Love on newearththeatre.org.uk. It is a special series of 13 videos created to thank the Filipino health workers in the UK who have worked tirelessly during the coronavirus pandemic. The videos are sent to Filipino NHS workers alongside food packages from Filipino Food for NHS. And as always, we'd love to hear from you about your stories and your feedback on Facebook or Instagram or email us at hello at creationcollective.com. Thank you for tuning in. Just to give you a teaser, next time we'll be interviewing a video game developer and art director, Greg Sue. He's currently working at Runner Duck, developing Bomber Crew and Stays Crew which are all very popular games that can be played on consoles as well as on app. So do tune in next time. You've been listening to Creation Collective, empowering you and your creative journey. Free, Free to be. be.